This week's episode of the Ask Masters podcast is being brought to you by the Watershape Society. Welcome into the show today. Uh, I get the pleasure to talk today with a good friend of mine, Allison Terry from Terry Design. Stay tuned to this very special broadcast. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Masters podcast. This podcast is dedicated to discussions about the design and construction of water shapes. The hosts of the show are all certified SWD masters who represent the leading builders and designers within the water shaping industry today. Okay, so welcome to the podcast today. My name is Dave Penton from Fluid Dynamics Pool and Spa out of Fullerton, California. And uh, working in Southern California, I have the uh, the ability to work on some of the most amazing projects in the world and some of the most influential architects and designers. And, and uh, uh, I get the pleasure uh, to work to, to, to talk today with a good friend of mine, Allison Terry from Terry Design. We've worked together for, gosh, 10 years at least, maybe even longer. Uh, so Allison runs Terry Design, a landscape architecture firm uh, based out of Orange County, but you'll work Orange County, Santa Barbara, LA, even a little bit in San Diego. So welcome to the show and introduce yourself. Okay. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Um, thank you for inviting me. Um, so I am a landscape architect and I'm licensed in the state of California and I've been doing residential design, custom residential design since uh, 1998. So before that, I worked for the National Park Service, and oh, wow. I was in their Denver Service Center in Denver, Colorado, but I rarely did work in Colorado, so I was on a plane most of the time. Uh, so I did that fresh out of graduate school. Um, and, and where did you go to school? So for undergrad, I went to Smith College in Northampton, Mass., and my uh, degree was in uh, art history, mm. art and architectural history. And then I worked in publishing in New York for uh, six years after that and decided that I really didn't want to live in concrete canyons for the rest of my life and really felt that I could make more of an impact, you know, just on my own life and then, you know, in the lives of other people by pursuing a, a degree in landscape architecture. So um, it was a career that I kind of had in the back of my mind for many, many years after my mother suggested in high school that I oh, should wow. become a landscape architect. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Um, because I love science and I love art. I love plants. I love understanding people, understanding the psychology of how people live in places and what spaces mean to them. Um, so that really was kind of my just it's landscape architecture was an encapsulation of mm all my different interests. So um, so I just moved down to University of Virginia and went and got my master's there. So um, okay. that was three and a half years. Okay. And so that's a master's in landscape architecture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in MLA. So can you explain a little bit um, uh, what's the difference? You know, um, so many times I hear people talking about, you know, the backyard and the drawings of the backyard or the back, you know, all of that. And, and they... Uh, they often refer to the, the person as a landscape architect, but that's not always necessarily the case just because a designer is drawing a backyard. So can you kind of explain a little bit of the difference? And, and um, yeah. Yeah, sure. So a landscape architect is somebody who has completed either a bachelor's or a master's degree and then has worked under a licensed landscape architect for a certain amount of time. So 
for instance, I got my MLA and then I worked under lands licensed landscape architects at the National Park Service. Okay. Um, and I believe the time period is four years, but I, you know, I'd have to double check that. Uh, so once you have met those requirements, uh, then you're you're um, you're able to take the exam, the licensing exam. And uh, so when I took the exam, I lived in Colorado. And there is no license in Colorado, really? so it's state by state. So I actually went to Wyoming and took took the exam. Okay. Um, so once you've um, so once you've taken the exam, then you are officially a licensed landscape architect. And so a line, a landscape designer, um, it you really can, anybody could call themselves a landscape designer. It's okay. not anything that's based on. Um, on education or work experience. Okay, so but the your specifically a landscape architect does have a degree and and so you have a master's degree in landscape architecture and I didn't realize actually knowing you all these years I didn't realize you had a minor or not even a minor that your your undergrad was in art history. Oh yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I can I can definitely see those influences. Um mm-hmm. so um let's talk a little bit about your time at the National Park Service because I know you were involved with the FDR Memorial and all of that and that's you know that's that's always been such a cool story uh, you know for me to know about you so so explain that that's okay. really cool so this is serendipity in action um, so when I was in school and getting my master's I loved the work of Lawrence Halprin so from day one that was one of the one of the landscape architects that I just that I followed and that I really read a lot about. I went to the library and got out his sketchbooks. And so I really learned about his process. Um, and then I learned about, you know, his skills. So he, he was able to engage with the public. Um, he was able to work with his wife, who was a choreographer and, and dancer, mm. and really kind of uh, start a new... And he... he he uh, invented a new process, which is okay. choreographing a person's motion through a site. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so, and also what I loved about him is he, uh, he, he took the essence of nature, and for him that was boulders, trees, water. And he took it and he uh, boiled it down to its very essence. And that's what he he put in his projects. So for me, they really spoke to my heart. And um, so I, when I found out that, uh, you know, the FDR Memorial was being built after going through all the re- review that I had to go through for years and years and years, uh, you know, I was fascinated. And so one day I was riding up the chairlift with the head of the construction, the Eastern Construction Department, and he was, we had a ski team for the National Park Service, so <laughs> of course. I was riding up the chairlift, and I said, boy, I love Lawrence Halpern, I would, I would love to work on the FDR Memorial. So he said, really? The person who's, who's one of the people who are doing, who's doing the uh, construction uh, observation there is leaving for a while. And so we need somebody to take his place. And I said, oh, wow. okay, well, I'll go. So <laughs> being single and this, you know, I just moved to Washington for a year and it was a real formative, formative experience. Um, and the reason it was formative was, uh, because I got to see a very, very high end construction project from beginning to almost to the end. Um, and I really got to become familiar with how Halpern, um, how he 
came up, you know, came up with a design. Um, and just, I became very familiar with the, with the project. Um, and also got to meet Lawrence Halpern and play pool with him and hang out. So that, that was great. That's awesome. Uh, and, and, the other thing, one of the things that's unique about you is that you will actually, um, you're in the backyard. You're not necessarily, you know, drawing the picture, sending it out and, and sending it off. Uh, you know, I love working with you because you're in the backyard, you're hand sketching details. We're fine tuning things. Even just last week, we were looking at a pilaster and, and yeah, can we shift it over a quarter of an inch this way? And so you're actually real hands on. And, and one of the things that I've loved about working with you um, is that you actually understand construction documents and you understand kind of the nuts and bolts behind it and and that and that's uh you know not our all architects that i get plans from have they really thought through how does this get built mm -hmm. so uh, I, I imagine kind of the fdr memorial that early exposure to exactly. all of the you know it's not just about the pretty picture it's about all of the underpinnings exactly. and making it work and, yeah yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, and that really did spark my interest in working in the field, um, because I, I feel like just in graduate school, I was not inclined towards it. I really didn't have the the mindset or the I didn't have the skills going into school to really be able to to understand um, how things were were built, and that experience at the FDR Memorial just you know gave me the confidence. Uh, to go out and be in the field and now it's one of my very favorite things to do and and I love working with people like you who can understand a real you know quick sketch and and we can work through it and and come up with the best product so so I feel like um, the design process for me is probably 75% in the studio getting the design documents done to get the essence of it and but then Probably the last 15 to 25% is really fine-tuned in the field. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, this this transition that's happened with, uh, you know, um, modeling, SketchUp, and, and all of that, and, and, and AutoCAD. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're great with a pencil. You know, we're out in the field, and you're drawing elevations and sections, and, and, and you uh, – it – it helps us in the field know exactly what you're trying to do. Um, you know, can you kind of, kind of talk to uh, drawing and and how important that is to the design process and your process, your creative process at the beginning as well. Oh, okay. So, um, well, just to to talk about sketching as an art um, and sketching as a method of communication. I mean, I think that's it's extremely important. For somebody in uh, as an architect or landscape architect to be able to understand how to draw and communicate the um, things in section elevation um, sketching um, axonometrics, so there's that's I feel is a real necessary skill because it's it's just an offshoot of being able to think in three dimensions. So when I'm drawing, I'm actually almost drawing it in my mind before it gets on the paper and um, and I and I do realize that's not something that everybody can do, and it's taken me years to to be able to to do that. But it I actually now instead of relying on my drafter to give me a section, give me an elevation, I actually will hand draw out everything in perspective to learn how the edges meet, how do the elevations work between different different components, and and um, I was exposed to. A landscape architect while I was in school, Michael Ferguson, who who actually 
was the master at doing that. And he said that's how he did all of his details is he mm. just drew them all out by hand. And, you know, of course we need things to scale. So that's where CAD can help. But I think under just knowing that all your edges are going to come together and everything's going to going to fit in and work. And it's it's nice to be able to draw that out in, in pencil. Um, now, creatively, I've heard a lot of people talk about that, um, you know, th they can't design on a computer that that really just that that the therapy, if you will, of, of putting a pencil on paper and, and really starting to, you know, go through pages and pages and pages of concepts as you're kind of creating, um, you know, the design, mm -hmm. uh, as you're developing the design in your own head, that, yeah. that, that the fact of putting pencil to paper really stimulates their creative process like a computer doesn't necessarily. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's ex exactly true. And, and for me, it's a, it's, I have to be in a, I have to clear my mind of all the small things and all the things that I should be doing at the computer and really be able to get on to the right brain. Of, and it's, it's, it's almost like a, a shifting of a gears. It's a, it's a change I can actually feel in my brain. Hmm. And it's almost, a, it's similar to um, this experience I had horseback riding. I had a teacher a long time ago who told me to have a soft eye. So she, she said, when you're, when you're riding around and you're trying to figure out how your horse is feeling and how you're sitting on your horse, have a soft eye. So it's basically going onto the right side of your brain and you're um, really becoming in tune with mm. the horse and not looking, not focusing on these tiny little details, but you're looking at, you're looking at the forest instead of the trees. So that's almost what conceptual design is, is you're looking at that forest. And for me, what I want to do is I sit there and I think I almost get into my head and I think what what is the best possible design for this client for this site and for me what a design that I'll feel proud of that speaks to me you know that resonates and so so it it does take many many layers of of um trace yeah I can attest to that you know yeah it's... I mean it, it's and, and you look at it and you think well wouldn't you kind of know what works and what doesn't work? But why do you have to go through that whole process? But it's like this whole process that you just have to go through. And it's really hard to explain. And, and it's very fraught with an emotions, you know, because it's like, oh, I got, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then you're like, no, I have it. And then you draw it and then you're like, no, it doesn't work. So you just go through, you know, this whole gamut of emotions when you're doing it. But for me, I can't do that on a computer. It has to be by hand. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost like your your uh, stream of consciousness. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I write that way and I just write and, and then I go back and read it and it's yeah. like a 700 word long sentence. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I got to clean that up yeah. and, and come and, back and refine it and, and everything. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of the way that I talk to him, you know, I'll have a, an idea and then I'll think, okay, well, I need to draw an elevation or I need to draw a section or how does this look, you know, in, you know, from a distance or how does it look from the front door or the back door? So my pages are just filled with not just stuff in plan, but envisioning it in the round, envisioning it in three dimensions. So uh, explain a little bit. So then how does your, how do you, 
you, you meet with a client, uh, you understand what they want, you understand the architecture of the, the building, kind of the de design direction. Uh, just explain just real briefly kind of what your, um, you know, your design process is uh, as you're going through and, and how you uh, eventually come back with your, you know, three or four concepts to the client and, and that whole process, because it's fascinating to me not being a designer. Yeah, and and I think it's a, a process that is continually being updated and edited and, and refined because I'm curious about how other people work too. I have talked to other landscape architects and asked them, you know, do you provide different options for your client? And some people say, no, I'm the designer. I know what's best. I'm not going to give them options. And then I think I can, I can see that viewpoint, but they're the people who are going to live there. And for me, a... Uh, very important part of design is the homeowner feeling ownership of that design. And uh, I, I feel like if, you know, if say somebody's designing your kitchen, if they don't understand what you like to cook or how you like to cook, it may not be as functional um, as if somebody got into kind of the, got into the head of the homeowners and understood, you know, how are, you know, what's their personality? How many people in the family? What do they like to do? You know, do they like enclosed spaces? Do they like wide open spaces? Do they like views? You know, do they like shiny surfaces or do they like kind of rough tactile surfaces? So so um, that's a whole process of the design, which is um, understanding the client. And so I feel like it, it's it kind of does a little bit of disservice for our industry for people to kind of impose their viewpoint on um, on clients and and uh so that's so i probably have a more collaborative approach um than some other landscape architects uh but so what i try to do is i take their feedback you know hearing what they what their wishes are their desires um learning how they live then i look at the site i analyze it i look at the neighborhood i you know maybe do some research online or in architectural styles although that's you know my background in Art architectural history. history really helps a lot um, because I do get asked to do minor little tweaks to houses, you know, add a front porch or add an arbor or fix the window trims or suggest, you know, like fenestration, you know, you want to look at it. Like, is it balanced or is it supposed to be asymmetrical? You know, you want to kind of look at all those architectural details because those play a role in how the landscape design gets worked out. Um, so, uh, so once I have all that, those inputs, it kind of goes into this vortex in my mind, <laughs> just whipped around <laughs> and little things get spit out. And some of them are full fledged ideas and some of them are just kind of maybe a passing thought and that I can draw it down and see if it works spatially. Um, and if it doesn't, it gets thrown out. So it's, it's kind of like throw all the information down this, this, very busy time of kind of me throwing ideas down and then assessing them so I can decide if I want to develop them more or not. Um, and then I'll come up with maybe um, between two and four options. Okay. And then I hand draft them. And sometimes I'll have reference photos. Sometimes I'll do like a little sketch. Um, sometimes I'll have like uh, material photos. So, so I kind of do it the different the opposite of some architects that I've seen before where they take the reference photo as, as the starting point, 
So I take what I have in my brain as a starting point, and then I kind of pick reference photos to to val- describe it. Yeah, to describe it. I mean, so it's so it's for me, it's a much more kind of inward driven process. Um, so then I meet with the clients and walk them through the different different um, designs, and I go fairly quickly. So I'm looking for their gut reactions mm. because the gut reactions in most cases are going to be the most valid, and they're going to be the ones that stand the test of kind of all the um, introspection that happens after that. Um, yeah. So so after. I meet with the clients and we run through the different designs. Um, a lot of times the clients, they want to combine options. And over time, I've gotten to realize that that really, that really doesn't work as well as it might sound. Um, some things might be interchangeable, but for the most part, there's kind of like a, there's an overall feeling to each design. And mm. so there, if you start taking it apart then it's yeah, it's not it something you can chinese menu and you know i like this feature here and this feature here right and, and you know then it looks all a little more disjointed it's right. not a cohesive design right yeah you said something earlier that really intrigued me and i hadn't thought about it um you know about uh you know psychology and that and, and you mentioned that in passing but really it, it almost sounds like your design process you almost have to merge with the client and and live the space through their eyes. Um, and and you know what I love about the the projects that we've done with you is is they're all very individual. You know they stand on their own. And yeah, there's there's certain elements. Uh, but you know sometimes uh, with architects you can walk into a space and say, oh, that's architect X or that's yeah. architect Y. And, you know they have a very defined style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and your style is really um, well. How would you describe it? Because I I see so many different elements, and we've done you know we've done contemporary and we've done very rustic and yeah. and everything. So it just seems very uh, a lot more diverse. Well. You know, I had a discussion with Catherine Rue a long time ago about this because she, she was worried that she wasn't doing contemporary design. Um, and I, and I, I thought about it and I said, you know, good design transcends styles. It really doesn't matter what style you do. It's, are you creating a space that works for people? Is it, is it human sized? Is it working well with the different um, aspects of the site? you know like is there there's a tree casting shade is that where you want to put your pool no so there's i think it's um what i try to do is have a good a good design that is works spatially functionally and it it creates a lasting impression for the homeowners too you know i think there's got to be either um a feeling that resonates with with the clients whether it's a feeling of calm and retreat whether it's a feeling of, oh, there's a brightly colored, uh, you know, feature out in the distance. I want to go explore it. You know, is it, it's, it's got to be something that um, really works for the client. Sure. Um, let's talk about different, um, one of the things, you know, this is a, a podcast based around water. Uh, and so I'd love to get your thoughts on water as a medium. Uh, you know, so many, so much of, of what I see in the pool industry uh, and, and pool designers is that the pool is the element, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a pool. Uh, it's almost like a bolt-on device, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an accessory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
Um, you know, I, I love exploring a little bit more of water as a medium. You know, it, it, you've got glass, you've got stone, you've got wood, you've got metal, you've got that. And, and um, you know, the best designs utilize water for what it is. And, and can you kind of explain a little bit how you love to integrate water into your, mm -hmm. you know, designs and use it, the reflective or, or however you use it in your in, in, in your design process? Right. So there there could be a really long answer to this. <laughs> so I'll try to edit it down. Um, so it's, I think it is kind of pinning on these two, uh, two sides of my, my own education and maybe my personality too, is I look at the history of water. So I look at, um, how was it used in, um, the Alhambra, you know, how was mm. it used, um, in, French gardens, how was it used in Austrian gardens, you know, so there's, there's, there's a, a huge rich history of how water was used and, and arid climates, you know, it was used to, for its cooling effects, just, but it wasn't, you can't look at a rill and say, oh, that's really going to cool the area. It's, it's the perception of cooling. So the other part of using water is the psychology of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so water is one of the primary elements, you know, so you've got fire, water, air, earth. And I really try to play on that in my designs. And, and um, so what I'm doing is either the, you know, capitalizing on the cooling effect or capitalizing on it, the effect of uh, a sheet of water being completely calm is a reflection of the sky. And it's increasing the the feeling of, of space, almost like a mirror in a room will increase the volume of the space. Um, or you could look at it um, just practically, you know, so you're going to have a fountain because it's going to drown out the sound of, of you living next to the freeway. Um, so it's, you know, it's little things I, I think that, um, you know, in, just make a space feel better. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the things that I learned from my mentor, Skip Phillips, is that um, water is not the, the the pool doesn't necessarily have to be the focal point of the property you know it's it's definitely there is um it 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 should be an element that flows with everything mm -hmm. uh but you know to to have the pool sometimes it's the focus and and sometimes that's appropriate but um all in all the pool doesn't always have to be the focus and and so many people in in at least in the pool industry you know that's where they start and that it starts and ends and then they just add things around it mm -hmm. uh, exactly you know and, yeah because it may not work the best from a spatial organization point of view to have the pool right straight off the axis of your back door, you know, where you might think, oh, that's the most important spot. That's where I'm going to look at it all the time. But like you said, you know, there may be a better viewpoint if you, you know, push the spa or the pool over into the corner and you're looking at it from a long angled view, you know, so it's, it's a, so it depends on the, the site, really. And I think that's where, you know, the reading of the site is very important, understanding the topography and then being able to think in three dimension and, and just uh, figure out what works best for the site. Uh, but I think of, of water as kind of like this typology where you're looking at it and it's leading your eye through the site. So that's mm. leading me back a little bit to Lawrence Halperin where it's part of the choreography. Yeah, uh, I interviewed Paul McLean a couple of weeks ago, and and he said uh, we have a big job that we just completed with him. Uh, he's a, a primary architect, and um, he talked about just that—the psychology of the water—and and, and uh, 
um, how uh, you you come into the driveway in this house and you walk past a, a 180 foot long water wall uh, with a very soft sound and he said he the reason he put that there was to transition you from the hustle and bustle and the chaos of LA and mm -hmm. traffic and everything and and to calm you down as you walked past it to the front door it's very intentional mm -hmm. uh, you had to walk past this thing you can't get into the house uh, it, it's the main entrance so um, you know that was really fascinating I never really thought of water as a psychological element so uh, it's interesting to see to hear you kind of uh, saying the same thing to mm -hmm. use it as a pathway. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I read a book quite a while ago that really influenced me as well. It was written by Julie Maservi and it talks about archetypes and it's talking about how people uh, are just born feeling comfortable in a certain space. So what she uh, did in her book and which I've incorporated into my practice um, is asking people where do they feel most comfortable? Where do they feel like, hmm. where do they, where do they go on vacation? You know, are they, are they a person who likes to have their back against a wall and then be able to see out? Um, so that would be more like a, um, let's see, there's peninsula, cave, mountaintop, um, just like Vista or something. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, do you want to feel like you're on the top of the mountain looking down and that would that would um, lead me to doing a certain type of design? Um, or do you like feeling like you've got a completely enclosed space and you're just peeking out through one little hole? Um, so I've noticed that in, especially uh, in my last few projects I'm that I'm designing right now, I have one where uh, the client wants everything to be extremely symmetrical and very orthogonal. So everything has a very um, kind of a strict purpose. It's, it's um, very ordered. And that, that I think is, is calming for some people, you know, they feel like, okay, maybe I've got a hectic life with kid and kids and work. And so I come back to my ordered landscape. Um, but then there are other people who might feel like, oh, I want to let nature just kind of uh, take its path. And I don't want to really be a human intervention in it. And so for those people, you know, a water feature or a pool um, or a landscape would take a very different form. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I know just enough architecture to be dangerous uh, and not enough to call myself <laughs> a, even a novice. Uh, but I just actually just recently took a, a, a Genesis architecture class uh, and they talked about, um, you know, uh, like Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, you know, he's very enclosed. Once you're inside, it's all about the home and everything, but, you know, high walls and, and low ceilings. And that was kind of like the Frank Lloyd Wright style. And, and from the street, you know, you, you don't really get a good vision into the house, uh, you know, but then you look at like, you know, the, the international style and Bauhaus and all the glass spaces and no real partition, you know, no real segmenting of the space. And so very different, different, you know, ways of looking at space for different clients. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of the same, mm -hmm. same concepts, you know, it's, it's, and again, it's, it's design, you know, throughout the concepts are, are, you know, they get integrated differently, right. uh, but, but the, the overall psychology of design, that's, that's fascinating to me because I'd never, uh, I think I said it earlier, I've never really thought about the psychology of yeah. design. Well, that's why I love working with, with building architects too, because uh, then I can understand why they put 
why they put walls in certain places, you know, what was their overriding um, design concept that they were going for, you know, what are the most most important views, uh, so things like that. So um, when I have worked with, with architects and walking through the buildings, and then they give me valuable uh, insight into it. Sure. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and, and kind of talk about... Um, you know a little bit about how you and I have worked together over the years, uh, and and uh, you know uh, for the landscape architects and just the architects listening to the show, um, can you kind of get into a little bit about um, how you and I work together and and kind of the benefit of of bringing in uh, you know a water based professional um, mm -hmm. anything because you know I know that if I'm able to come in early in the design process. Um, it, it gives me more freedom to bring your vision to life. You know, a lot of times we're brought in too late and, and the architect has a vision and we're already to the point within construction where we can't fully realize that vision for the architect. And so we're having to cut corners. Mm -hmm. uh, and so getting in really early, even before ground is broken on a lot of these, we can talk through some of that and, 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 and figure out some of the issues and some of the, the, the underlying mechanics uh, to make that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's more than just the mechanics. It's, I have, um, feel like I've grown with you and we've taught each other so much, um, that, if I'm on a project and somebody else is selected as the pool contractor, I just, I feel this sense that it's not going to be realized to the potential that it could be. And that's not just, you know, saying that I can't do the design without you, but I'm saying that you bring certain perspectives and certain technical knowledge to the drawing table so early on that it, it becomes a collaboration. And, and I think, um, a, Collaboration between all the trades is so important, and um, that's that's why I end up choosing or recommending the contractors uh, for projects uh, because they feel like they understand my vision, they understand how I develop things, and then they want to build the best possible product um, project for the clients. So, um, so if there's a technical detail, then I'll you know, call you up or you come over to my office and we sit there and just hash it through. And that teaches me. And I think it enables you to see kind of what the vision is for the, for the project. Yeah. And one of the things that I've loved about all of my education through Genesis and, and, and everything is that um, it's not just the education of how to build a pool killer and how to make sure that the rebar is right and everything. Um, I'm not a designer. I don't uh, I, I don't, I'm not creative enough to be, to be able to put things down on paper in a cohesive way. Um, it's just not my style. I, uh, but, but I've learned the language of working with architects and I've learned, you know, the, um, you know, line and balance and I've learned the terminology and I know what it means, uh, you know, you know, going through the, the whole program that I did, I understand why, why can't I move this wall over, you know, three inches? It makes construction so much better. Uh, I understand that. Hey, I need to talk to the architect about that because I don't know the overall vision and moving that wall may just completely screw up yeah. something from the front door that I'm not even paying attention but to. See, this is, this is the reason that I enjoy working with you because 
you have gotten educated enough to realize that there may be a potential problem with something. If one little thing is changed, then you understand that that's magnified down the road and that it sets, you know, perhaps the, the visual balance off. Um, so rather than just plowing on forward and building something and not having it be correct, you come back and you ask. And so that to me, that is just the most valuable thing. And um, so, and you have the desire too to learn about it, you know? And so there are a lot of people who just say, well, put it on a piece of paper and I'll build it. But that's not really, that's not what I'm looking for as a landscape architect. I'm looking for somebody who's invested in creating the best possible project every single time and not just saying, oh, I'm going to, get my paycheck and I'm going to walk away. No, it's like you want to feel that that pride in that project. And, and you know, you're curious too. It's like you say to me, oh, here's a new product. Here's a different tile or look at this project. And so you're constantly kind of recirculating uh, new ideas to me. And um, I think I think that's what I, what I really enjoy is just from a professional point of view, we're sharing ideas. And we're trying to get the best possible product. Yeah, and and just uh, you know, kind of speaking to the, the the pool contractors out there, and and kind of, I want to just reiterate to that whole segment that um, uh, my vision um, doesn't necessarily always really matter on a job. It's it's I have not spent the countless hours that the designer, the architect, has spent birthing this design you know and, and you're really emotionally invested in it and it, it's very special to you at least in working with you you know it, it's it's your baby you know right. and and you understand it and I don't necessarily understand it and but... deferring that to you is is or or deferring to the designer I think is critical well, part what it shows is respect it's really that's I think that's kind of the cornerstone of it is that I have respect for you your skills and your knowledge and then you have respect for what i'm bringing to the table so that's i think creates the best possible working relationship and and the better the working relationship the the better the product's going to be and the happier the client's going to be and so. yeah and, and so um you know i i, I like that uh, because it's it's so many times i hear contractors you know oh we gotta the architect's gonna be here today and mess yeah. everything up and and just uh, just reframing that a little bit, uh, and and um, you know, I feel like as as contractors, if we can reframe our focus and and allow you the the freedom to speak into it, not only does it make me a better contractor, it makes the project better for the client yeah. at the end of the day, and then it also instills trust uh, between you know design professional and myself, yeah. and you're more likely to refer me out on another job. Exactly. So it's not, yeah. it's not all you know. I mean, it, the it, the benefits are all the way right. it's around. Not, it's not self serving at all, and and I learned that actually at the FDR Memorial. So because hmm. my job was to walk around count up all the different people in each trade, look at the work that was being done, and then make notes and, you know, look for deficiencies or problems, be there if somebody had a question. And we're talking, you know, 80 to 100 people on a job site, a very complex job site. So 
I actually got to know the foreman. I got to know the workers. I walked around and I felt like each voice mattered. And I didn't look down on somebody because they were a laborer. You know, they're part of the machine. Everybody's a cog in the machine. And maybe my part is in an office or, you know, I don't have to wear steel-toed boots, you know, all the time. But but I feel like everybody is an integral part of it from, you know, the person delivering materials to the person hauling those sacks of concrete to the person who's who's signing the checks. So um, I do think maybe I have a little bit of a different background and a different um, viewpoint on everybody's role. But when I go onto a construction site, I want to show my appreciation for what everybody is doing. And um, I don't want to feel like I'm going out there and I'm in a confrontational atmosphere because that's counterproductive to the quality of the product. Sure. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, you know, um, that respect trickles down. And, and, you know, when you're respecting the guy digging the ditch, um, digging the trench, whatever, um, they feel that. And, and you know, they're going to want to pull for you as well. You yeah. know, they're going to, oh, well, this is you know, she's happy with me. Yeah. And, and so they're not, they're not feeling like they're on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's it just all the way through just that, that respect mutual, you know, we're all human beings, mm-hmm. you know, we all, we, we all have to eat and sleep and, yeah. and everything. So, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that approach. Yeah. And I mean, I've gone through my instances of having people who did not meet up to that and, and, you know, and they've been, it's been glaring to me how black and white it is. If you're on a job site where people want to do a good job and are respectful of the people who put the work in at the at the desk to to uh, you know to develop the drawings, it it makes it such a better product. Well, thanks so much for for joining us today. Uh, you know, it's it's. I'll probably talk to you in an hour. I know. <laughs> after I know. we're done I here, feel like we could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, where can people find you and and uh, Instagram? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I should ask Rob that, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, so they can find me. Um, let's see. Well, we have a website. But the website is about five years old, so... It's still beautiful, though. Yeah. You know, good design transcends time. You, yeah. you said that earlier. Yeah, that's true. Um, so our website and um, just find me driving around town. Yeah. <laughs> or at the grocery store. So Allison Terry, Terry Design, uh, thanks for joining us today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Good. Me too. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Awesome Masters podcast, and don't forget to check out our Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for new episodes of the show. I also want to encourage you to stop by the Ask the Masters Facebook page and invite other like-minded individuals to join us there as well. Feel free to jump into the conversations and even post your own questions. We want to create a community which fosters learning and discovery for the betterment of us all. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to subscribe and feel free to share 